Hi, I'm Steve. And I'm Simon. Welcome to the Business and Beers podcast. Where we chat to our guests about real life experiences and the practical steps to their success. With a ton of knowledge bombs getting dropped along the way. While enjoying a beer together, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Good morning, good afternoon. I don't know what else to say to all our faithful business and beers uh, listeners. We're really excited to have you on another episode. Um, Currently, as we're recording, it is freezing cold in Johannesburg. So hopefully when you hear this, uh, the weather's a bit warmer. Um, But yeah, super excited to have, I don't know if we could call it another country guest, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. Um, But yeah, super excited to have Jacques Detoy uh, join us on our next episode of Business and Beers. So, yeah, Jacques, thanks for joining us all the way from Cape Town. Thank you for having me on. It does seem uh, that Cape Town is separate from the rest of the country, right? We get fly up regularly up to Joburg and down here. But yeah, having the ocean so close by definitely seems like two different worlds right now. Yeah, tough life, eh? So, yeah, I'm not sure if you've listened to a couple of our episodes, but uh, yeah, the kind of the the left hook gets thrown early in. So, yeah, if you can tell our listeners a little little bit about yourself and then that uh, very awkward question, something that not a lot of people know about Jacques. Okay, all right. I think I, I have something for you on that. So, yeah, I'm originally from Pretoria. I'm, I grew up in the Moort in Pretoria, and most people in Pretoria will know exactly where that is. I, uh, I left there in 2017, but prior to leaving, I studied at the University of Pretoria, studied accounting, and yeah, I was one of those students that was not the best student, always an entrepreneur at heart, and always busy with too many things, and especially things that aren't study-related in first years, so I failed my first year. And um, I repeated that first year with a friend that I that I'd met at that point. And yeah, it, it was a good opportunity for us because we spotted a gap there at UP for a business. We started our first business back then. It's a student bookshop that still runs to today. Um, and yeah, I moved down. I ran that for about 10 years and then moved down to Cape Town in 2017. I was looking for some more challenges. I mean, the, the textbook trade is very seasonal, so you have a lot of downtime. Um, and there was only so much that we could grow in that space. Um, and in 2017, I started putting out feelers and saying to people, I'm open to opportunities. I want to come down to Cape Town. And I was yearning for the mountain and the ocean down here, but most of my family also lives down in Cape Town. So I came down here and I partnered with a guy to, he was a consultant, had a small consulting firm. And that was to roll out an ERP system for someone in the fruit industry. He was very savvy in the fruit industry from a business intelligence point of view. I brought some accounting knowledge on top of his already. um, And I was the project manager for for that rollout. And yeah, it was a good learning curve. I mean, I hadn't spent too much time in the corporate environment till then, except for odd jobs and growing up. But it was a good learning school to see how corporates should work and don't work in certain respects and also how where my limits are right especially as an employee at that stage versus being an entrepreneur at that stage. Um, I left there in 2018 and I went to a new company um, someone else that was at the previous clients that we had done asked me to come help on a project at the end of 2018 I grew to more projects. I was consulting and then to an offer of employment. I stayed there for about 
I think, 18 months to 24 months. That's actually where me and you met, Sai, um, on a project over there, an ERP project. Sadly, the company that I was working for did not continue. Uh, COVID and just business industry did a number on them and they went into business rescue at the beginning of 2021. So I pivoted again into consulting um, on the side and I also have some property dealings that I focus on as well as the bookstore. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell from where I am and, and who I am. Brilliant. And, and then that, uh, yeah, one, one interesting fact that no one knows about. Ah, yes, that's what I forgot. So I took part in a race in 2017 from Cape Town to Zanzibar using public transport only. So wow. that was over 14 days, 33 teams, like the amazing race. But yeah, public transport with strict rules on how much you can spend and time bonuses, et cetera. And yeah, that was a jewel. Very good. Yeah, that does sound uh, really um, interesting. Um, Jacques, just from my first question um, for today, yeah. I'd really like to dive a bit deeper into your first year at varsity i'm also a, a, a failed a year at varsity student but i just really want to chat around that whole the failure if we can just title yeah. the word yeah. failure how you took that on instead of giving up leaving varsity you rather stayed with a mate and now you started this business like speak just about those emotions was it was that part of the game plan to say, well, I failed, I need to pay my parents back? Or, or how did you pivot like that? Because a lot of people would have just been like, this varsity thing's not for me and left. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I can relate to the emotion and the still trying to be there. So look, I, I alluded to the fact that I've always been entrepreneurial and I went to go study BCom accounting because I knew that that would assist me greatly in, in business ventures, etc. But I... I was always interested on something on the side right? and didn't focus on the ball in terms of studies. And when I failed, my deal with my parents as well, as you said, was that they would pay if for the first three years, if, and if I pass, that's fine. I can pay them back later. But if I fail from then on, I pay for it. So that was a good reality shot. Luckily we had started a business at that point. So it did kind of segue neatly into each other, but it was a decision to stay. I mean, I recall because I didn't, I started my business the first day of second year. So I still had the, had to make the decision of going back, right? But yeah, it, it was the right thing to do in my mind. It, yeah, it, it made sense for me to stay because I knew that no matter what happens, if my degree is in place, at least you have that fallback. But I've seen that people take graduates a little bit more seriously if you had to go into the corporate world a little bit more credentials but it was stressful right nobody wants to fail a year in varsity but i realized that it's not the end of the world right i think i heard you in a podcast say that you think that everything happens for a reason and i agree with that that ultimately yeah things work out the way that they should if i didn't repeat that second year or fail the first year my business wouldn't be here today and it's still here so yeah sometimes things work out for the right reason yeah, that, that was my first year stint as a biokineticist. Uh, I remember the, the lecturer said, okay, great guys. There's going to be eight of you out of a class of 160 that will get taken into honors. And, and uh, we had a really clever check in our class, like next level clever. And uh, we got our test results back. I think it was anatomy, if I recall it. And uh, yeah. She cracked 88% and my mates and I, Dimitri, got like 44. 
and uh, went, to, went to my dad and I was like, hey, dad, I don't think I'm going to be part of the eight that are going into honors. <laughs> the next option was to do your honors in Stellenbosch. And then the last option was Twani University of Technology. And I was kind of like, nah, I don't think honors from Twani University of Technology is, uh, counts too much. Eh? <laughs> Um, but the, the one thing I, I wanted to chat on, because you, you raised like an interesting point, um, and maybe we can jump into a bit more detail, but you said that you obviously started now this business in your second year of varsity on the first day. Can you maybe talk us around what was going on in your mind? How did you guys start this business? It's something that we're picking up as like a recurring theme. Was it that you guys did this whole SWOT analysis, found this gap in the market? Like what happened for you guys to start this thing? So that's always an interesting thing because growing up, I was introduced to rich dad, poor dad and that type of thing. And he kind of encapsulated for me the blueprint for how to start businesses and, and how I wanted to live my life. But I had always had some of those things naturally, like trying to figure out ways to make money. I remember the, the first time I started a business, I think I was seven and we started raking leaves in the like in the fall when, when leaves are falling. But I got the neighborhood kids and I would outsource them and charge a higher rate. So you can already see the angle working there. But that's the thing, right? It either makes sense or it doesn't. And there are certain things that you can just from your gut into it. So no, there was no SWOT analysis. There was a calculation done on the back of an envelope. And it was really as simple as spotting that our lecturer at that point wrote her own textbooks and prescribed those textbooks for her classes. And when we were in our first year, it was sold at bookstore A. And in second year, it was sold at bookstore B, right? So my friend's father owned a printing company, the one that I started the business with. And I said to him, listen, how much do you think these books your dad can print them for? And he gave me a figure more or less. He was, he was more or less right. And we calculated the sales price times by the number of students that we could see in the class. And we knew there were three classes. And when we did that figure, we were like, that's good money, right? And we approached her and said, can we distribute your books for you to other bookstores or sell it? And she's like, yeah, I'll give you a shot. But I mean, I just, it's the beginning of the year. I've already done this. So come back next year. And then she says that word that every entrepreneur loves. But I know these people that just wrote a book and they're looking for people to distribute it. And she introduced us to our first clients. Yeah. And yeah, they even said to us five years after starting, we don't know what came over us to give two 19-year-old kids the opportunity to do this with no business track record. And they're still our clients to today. And they've never moved. They've been poached many times from bigger publishers and they've never gone because they get a much better deal, right? So yeah, no, no SWOT analysis. It's shooting from the hip. So, yeah, I think, uh, Jacques, jumping back, and I can definitely see the, the business opportunity because, um, yeah, as we were chatting, when, when I was at Fasty, we, we kind of always put that sucker punch where we figured out there was a Chinese publisher across the road from main campus. And what we then do is one person. So let's say we had a group of eight mates. We needed eight textbooks. So each family had a choice on which textbook they wanted to buy. So I would buy the anatomy one for two grand. 
I would then quickly run across to the Chinese publisher. Then my seven mates would then pay 300 bucks for the textbook. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of got to that phase, especially for us at Biokinetics, because um, we were kind of seen as like the rebels in, in the campus, um, to the point that, you know, you get the oak with the smart textbook that paid full price sitting in front of the class, and then all the Chinese copies uh, would sit at the back. I mean, I don't know if, I, I don't even know what his name is. I think for reference, we're going to call him Mr. Chang. I don't know if you ever bumped into Mr. Chang. <laughs> So Mr. Chang closed down about three years ago. He, he had a long run, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, he, he, that's a valid point, right? Because Mr. Chang exists for a reason, and the reason is that textbooks are super expensive. So, mm. I mean, a lot of people went there over the years. I might have gone there once, <laughs> but ultimately, we we started because we, in our first year, for instance, we shopped around, right? We went to every single bookstore. I put together a spreadsheet and we saw which was the cheapest books. And you had to go to like five different stores, buy the cheapest ones because money's tight when you're a student. And then you end up with the best spread, right? And that's where the bookstore was born with the publishing side as well, where we publish authors' books and we give them bigger royalties than the traditional publishers. But we also held on to those books, right? So we didn't give those books to the other bookstores. We created our own bookstore. And by let's call it forcing students to come to us in their first year, because that's the only place you can get your accounting book. We could sell you every other book that you need for cheaper than any other store, right? So we still do that today, where we're the cheapest e-com bookstore in the country now, started with accounting law and then everything else. But the point is, you know, when you come there, that it's the cheapest that you can get it than anywhere else. I mean, but in the past, that was not the case. And that's the reason Mr. Chang exists. Sadly, Mr. Chang had a run-in with the law and is no longer in operation. Yeah, but what he was doing wasn't illegal at all, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> For us, from a student's perspective, no. But from the law, not so much. Yeah, yeah and I think, Jacques, I think it's going to, that just raises a good topic for us because we, um, I don't know about Simon, but me and my, I get a lot, always people ask me the question, how do you identify that gap in the market? Um, you know, because that's the thing. It's like um, Simon and I were chatting the other day and they were like, flip man, that oak thought of that idea. It's so simple, but he's now made it into a multi-million rand business. So can you maybe take us back to when you did start the business? What was going through your mind? Um, how did you identify that gap? Was it just it was a need right there and then. So you just fulfilled the need or, or what was it just to let our listeners know? Yeah. I, from, from my perspective, it's always, as you said, solving a need and it's usually my own needs, right? That's the obvious answer with the bookstore, but yeah, it's usually looking at things that are in my own way that I think I can maybe do better and remove some friction in the process. And then the question becomes, okay, does that need apply to a lot of people that are willing to pay that? And then if you can tick, tick those two boxes as well as exclude competition, then you've got a winning formula, right? Because if you make it hard for others to enter, we achieve that by not giving our books to other bookstores, which was contrary to what the market was doing at that stage from a publisher perspective. But we just felt it was fair, right? It was fair to give students lower prices where the other publishers we're kind of keeping things at an, at an even playing field and keeping things inflated. I remember when we started, a calculator was selling for 700 Rand. I bought it at the same supplier and sold it for 250 Rand that year, the first year that we started. 
that calculator today doesn't even cost 700 grand. I sell it for 550. And most wow. other places also sell it for 500. But that shows you that there was 500 rand of additional fat built in. And if you take that over the market, that is just absurdly high, right? So yeah, solving your own problems would always be my starting point. And then looking, okay, does that apply to a bigger market that I can capture? And I think that that's where you touch on, on a big point on this whole, what would be the biggest difference between let's, I'm going to bracket a commercial business to your business. Because if you look at that, if you've got five commercial businesses in the region, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people will know your most common textbook suppliers. But if everyone keeps their stable price at 1,800 Rand, but everyone's getting it from the publisher between 250, 300, you know, at that, that profitability margin is huge. So I can imagine if you can get it from a publisher, even at the same price as what they're getting it at, you sell it for half the price, naturally your student market is not your, I don't know what the correct word for it is, but naturally your students want to pay the least amount possible so then your business actually flips around where it's not becoming a buy one textbook and i sustain myself for a year you actually become very volume driven because the more people that are buying my textbooks even if my profit margin is a hundred bucks you know if you're getting three times the volume of what another book uh, bookshop is doing you're actually generating huge amounts of profit absolutely yeah if you can, if you can get those economies of scale in place then you can absolutely do that and yeah there are uh, there are other markets that have those big moats built in and big fat built in. Some of them are much harder to disrupt, right? We were inside the machine and could at least see things from a student's perspective. And that's the other key thing, right? Is being that consumer, because you know what the challenges are. You understand that it's a hassle walking around with a spreadsheet. Things should be much simpler than this. And now when we're online, I mean, everybody's offering free shipping, et cetera. So you get with the times. But the whole market has adapted. The entire market has come down in price because the big guys cannot compete anymore if they stay above a certain threshold. They are still more expensive because they've got much higher operating expenses than us, which is fair. So you have to adapt, right? But now with online stores, those barriers to entry are coming way down. And it's much easier now to go and disrupt the big boys that have had these big commercial businesses, as you said. Um, and you, if you can lock in economies of scale, you can do something in your garage today, which used to take 40 employees, right? It's, it's crazy what's possible. And Jacques, I just want to ask, obviously, you're now uh, like second year student, almost 20, early 20 year olds. You've just said to us earlier on in the episode that very seasonal business, because as I'm sure those mm. first couple of books sold, great cash flow was great, but you then need to keep them for second semester or possibly the next year if the book's getting reprinted so i know from my business that uh, cash is king but can you speak to us about how two youngsters they've just launched this business now it's almost taking off how did you guys control that so interesting thing in our first year we did not have a credit card machine so we only did cash sales and i remember nice. sitting with over a million rand in cash in in a, in a Wendy house, by the way, because we, we were selling out of a Wendy house out of that stage. And then the next year we got formal offices and became grown-ups. But yeah, that, that was scary. We always were worried about being robbed. But yeah, cash is most certainly king. We were very fortunate. And this was another thing, right? A lot of things come down to luck and especially who you know, right? So 
obviously my business partner's father owned a big printing company and he extended us some credit to print our first run of textbooks. And I remember he, he was very lenient with us and gave us 60 days to pay our first account, which is not what they would usually do. I mean, they would give you a 30-day account, maybe if you have a good record, but we paid them back in 20 days, right? And paid that back and had a big surplus of cash and just parked that and made sure we couldn't touch it and wait for the next run. But when we started, we had a lot less books that we were buying. So we grew organically where from the second year, we just started adding more and more titles. But yeah, we had to protect that cash flow. You're right. Cash is certainly king because at that stage, we just paid our suppliers immediately. You didn't even know what you didn't know. You didn't know that you could negotiate 90-day credit terms until one of our suppliers came in there and said, hey, don't you want longer credit terms? And we're like, like how long you can, can do you that? give us? <laughs> and they gave us six months, 2 million rand. I was like, you know, I'm wow. like 19 years old, right? She's like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. We trust you because we know how these businesses work. And yeah, also paid them back with much less than, than that six-month period. Um, and then you get a trade discount on top of it. So it taught you a lot of the inner workings of business. But yeah, you need to protect that cash and make sure that it lasts that entire year, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm quite shocked. I mean, I think if if a student knew what was sitting in your Wendy house, yeah, good luck. Eh? <laughs> that, that would have been a, a couple of nights at Hatfield Square. Um, yeah, I would say a couple of months. So, so maybe, you know, going from, so let's say now you're 19, 20 years old, you and your mates on our business partners, you've got your bookshop running you've got a publisher in my mind with the cash that you're talking about it's actually a successful business that you're starting to run and as i understand from your story so now let's call it what it is and you know please correct me if i'm wrong but this is still now running as a side hustle business for you because as i understand you're still pursuing your accounting degree um and you know the goal is now to get your degree so Naturally, I would imagine you're going to do your degree, your degree finishes, and you and your business partner are now going to go into your bookshop permanently, going to be like, great, this is going to become the next best adventure. Did that happen? <laughs> Not exactly like that. <laughs> so you sound like the conversation that happened between us back then. Exactly that. <laughs> And yeah, we had to make that call because we were still um, studying and it was hard to balance the two. And at the end of our second year, he was the more uh, mature one that said, no, you, I would like you to buy me out because we can't do both of these things. While it's a successful business, it isn't what I want for the future. It's been a good experience, but I want to become a chartered accountant. That was his dream. And yeah, he finished that up, went to go work for PwC. They sent him to Australia for two years. He's gone on that trajectory and he's got a very successful career where he came back and joined his father's printing company. He runs that finance division for them and they've grown 10, 20 fold. It's, it's, a, it's a very successful company today, um, even back then, but today they do very well. But I, I was still winging it at that stage. I knew I wanted to finish my degree and, and I kept doing that and yeah, passed with average grades, right? But yeah, some things in my personal life kept going, family life. It, it took me five years to finish my three-year degree. I took some time off in between as well. Bought him out uh, after this at the end of the third year, sorry. And 
kept running it as a one-man show, eventually sold a 30% stake in it to someone that's a lot more finance savvy. And they were starting to take over the day-to-day operation so that I could finish my degree. And once I finished, I was there for about three more years up until 2017, um, which is when I moved to Cape Town, which, yeah, was to look for new challenges. Because as we said, it's seasonal. You can only grow so much. Once we had hit the entire BCom market, I knew... I didn't want to go into medical, et cetera. I wanted other challenges, things that, that were not textbook related. Yeah, that teased me up nicely then to our next question, Jock. Obviously, you've now not even fresh out of varsity. It's still fresh in varsity. You launch a successful business. Now you go out to almost look to be uh, employed, um, where before you've managed to um, you your own boss, you decide when you wake up, you decide how many leaves days, you said you had a little bit of break. Obviously, you're understanding because the business has done so well that you work very hard. But explain to us that transition now of being your own boss to now being an employee. Was it easy? Were you still hungry for knowledge? Um, yeah, explain that a little bit to us. So I was open to any adventure, whether employee or business partner. I knew that, so maybe I should just, say something before I start with that. So property is another passion of mine. And even in Pretoria, I was, I had two Airbnbs in Cape Town, which I was managing remotely from there. Um, my mom was down here and we kind of parted on the one, the next one grew and I started managing other people's units from the technology point of view on Airbnb, even whilst in Pretoria. And I was- So was this the, while you were a student? This was in 2016. So okay. in, I started the first Airbnb in 2012 and then okay. started managing other people's units in 2016. So, in 2016- so, so, to, so if I understand this, right? So yeah. you've now got the successful bookshop business, right? Yeah. You've now in 2012 gone into permanent bookshop, yeah. if I understand it. Yeah. And now you've already got your side hustle going again, which is now Airbnb. Yeah. That's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, yeah, it, it's, it's a funny story. One of those things that, that comes out of need again, right? And solving problems. My mom was renting a house in Seapoint in Cape Town from, I don't even know, 28, 2008 to 2014, maybe. And she was paying a ridiculously low rental amount compared to what other people were paying because the owners were sitting in Greece. But that property was a four-bedroom house with a one-bedroom flat Okay. I'm, she'll probably shoot me for saying this, but so she was paying 17 a month for that entire place, right? And when I launched that place, that tiny little flat in the back on Airbnb, we were property number 200 in Cape Town at that stage. And there's now over 30,000 listings in Cape Town, so 200. That tiny one bedroom apartment in the back paid more than the rent for that entire house for three years. Wow. Every month. And we took that money and bought more property and we put on Airbnb. So that's how that grew. Um, we did that 50-50, even though she was paying the full rent. She'll probably shoot me today. But <laughs> I, I was managing that from a technology point of view and making sure we were, we were um, running and, and we were full. And yeah, we were full right? because Airbnb was in its heyday back then. So I started managing other people because people were hearing what we were doing. And then we added another unit, which we bought. And people started saying, hey, I've got a unit in Cape Town. Can you help me 
put this thing on Airbnb. And I started doing that and putting processes in place because the one thing that we had always put in there was self-checking, which in that day was novel, but it, it cut down a lot of management time. Right? Anyway, when I was evaluating coming down, I thought, let me start an Airbnb management company, cleaning everything else. And after evaluating that, I realized that, yeah, you're going to have a full-time job and be extremely busy. And the break-even point for that is about 80 units because I met with the guys down here that were running Air Managed, who are now proper, and they were on 120 units. And at that point only, because of the size of the operation, started breaking even and started making good money. But you need quite a big operation. So I scratched that idea and joined the consultancy side, right? And that's the job that I joined down here as a as a partner, but more as an employee. And to come back to your question, Steve, that was the adjustment, right? I had to accept the fact that I knew nothing about that industry, even though I had an accounting degree, but I had to be an employee, right? Now I need to report to someone. I need to be there at a certain time. And, and the, the person who I was working under was an oddball. He, he worked strange out and he was extremely dedicated to his job and to his clients but he worked odd hours, right? We would start some days at 5 a.m., take a break from 1 p.m. to like 3 p.m. and then hit it again from 3 till 9. It, it was rough hours. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because he would like sleep in the middle of the day and then go on. But yeah, it, it was an adjustment to manage my own time and it stretched me to my limits to see what I was actually capable of, right? So it was good. It was good to see the balance and to see that, yeah, maybe I'm... I'm able to put in more and longer hours even for my own businesses than I was previously doing. One thing that I'm picking up, which is actually really inspiring and, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether it's a passion or a hobby or something that you picked up. But as we unpacking these stories of, you know, you owning a business to the side hustle and stuff, there's very much a analytical process driven engine behind this you're looking at the markets and saying great there's a gap in the market this we need to attack and you grow that market get the business established move on to the next thing grow the market you know carry on like that um, and i mean from this technological point of view because do you find that the degree that you had taught you this analytical process driven type of mindset um, that's got this like technology background or is it just something that you've picked up along the way and been passionate about? Um, I would say it's more my personality type and me. I think the, my accounting degree in the past has given me more tools and maybe <laughs> given me more ammo to, to figure things out and drive the people around me crazy because I live off of spreadsheets and think in spreadsheets. So yeah, analysis has always been part of, of who I am and what I do. I'm always trying to work some angle and trying to figure out, okay, is it going to work? And then as soon as I have that question in my mind, it goes onto a spreadsheet. And that's always been the case. I think the biggest gift that I was ever given, my mom is an accountant. And yeah, she taught me to use Excel as a kid. And that was a game changer. Like even when I had my first paper route, she was like, I could go work out. How much am I going to make this month if I do this many papers, right? It's always looking at how can I increase it? And yeah, that, that has good elements and bad elements, right? You can drive yourself crazy if you analyze too much. Yeah, and I think it's a very good point there. We, at uh, my previous agency, they sent me on a, an Excel course. It was Excel, mm. like basics, intermediate, and advanced. And it was actually so beneficial. I knew how to use Excel. I was like, oh, there's basic um, 
formulas and stuff I can use. But it was like, then you start learning that Excel was actually, it's one of the first AI engines and new stuff. You know, when they do now, the new one does the predictability of the sums you're currently doing, you know? So it is such a powerful tool. And from me as a business owner as well, I love spreadsheets. Um, I was chatting to um, someone other and I was like, no, I've made a spreadsheet for us to do this. And they're like, of course you did. Um, and that's exactly it for me. Of so you know, you um, it's like, this is my income. These are my expenses. And it, it, it really is um, so, so powerful for that. So let's jump because it's been actually such an amazing story until now. Um, and now I think if I understand correctly, you went and you worked with that guy, you then worked at another company to be the project manager. That's now, unfortunately, now, if we're jumping to now, in the beginning of 2021, if I understand correctly, is now closed due to COVID. So talk us through that. That's obviously a lot for you to process as well. You've tackling this thing full on. You now find, well, listen, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't have any work. Like, what's going through Jacques' mind? Yeah, so it, it was an interesting journey to get up to here. When I left the consultancy with the other partner and joined this new company, I mean, I was I joined as a project manager and I was exposed to a, a lot more technology stacks and rolling out systems internally for the company. And it was under a great team, right? We had the global IT head, we had myself and, and someone else doing projects, and then we had our technical team underneath us. And yeah, it was an adjustment to be told, okay, it's not continuing, right? And starting to make plans. But I'll be honest, we were extremely fortunate. What, what happened there is that the global head of IT, which is um, a good friend of mine who got me in there as well, and I started helping on projects, Samantha, when the announcement came that, that they were going into business rescue, et cetera, people that had worked with us at that company, as well as suppliers and customers, started reaching out to her saying, hey, can you help us with projects in IT? And we, we need to overhaul our infrastructure or whatever the case may be. And yeah, we, it just started growing. She said, look, let's help them. Let's go for it. And her contract, at least at that point, said she's allowed to consult on the outside because we were busy winding down. And I was formally let go with everybody else on the 31st of January. So we started consulting. And yeah, I'm extremely fortunate because... We've now partnered as, as, uh, as a consulting team called Source Consulting, and it's myself and her, and we have one other person below us who also came from, from the previous company, and he does our technical side. I'm the project manager, and she is highly technical as well, but she's also the customer relationship side, right? She knows how to play that game, and, and people get along with her very well, but she's also technically strong and can lead the team. So... Yeah, it's been an adjustment. There was a lot of stress involved. You know, you don't know if, if you're going to get through this. I luckily had a little bit of income that still comes from the bookshop and still keeps that going. But yeah, it's a stressful place to be. Not to know that, yeah, the salary that I've depended on is going to stop tomorrow. But we were fortunate enough that it just kept going. Yeah, I think that's a testament. I mean, I can speak directly with that. I know Jacques and I, some evenings were working 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, um, because of like the, the global offices. And uh, that's where that whole analytical thing came, putting spreadsheets together. And, you know, you could look at it because I, I know, you know, we were very far in the project and it was kind of, you know, that last mile to, to make a final decision. Um, but you touched on it very early on in the episode. And again, like we firm believers on that everything happens for a reason because, 
if I look at it, you know, starting from your journey as an accountant to, you know, the, the work that we did together, it's actually like a complete 180 degree shift. But again, if you look at that journey of the work that you did in the organization and the processes and the exposure to technology stacks and the network that you grew, um, and, and I think this is a message that, you know, we, we try to get a lot to start up business owners, guys thinking about this or having a side hustle, always look at the network and the stuff that you're working through, unless you absolutely know with dead heart that what you're doing is not going to add value um there's always something that will come out of it like you say now you know the connections you made in that business you've now actually started a whole new business from that and leveraging off of all the experience and the technology stacks and everything that you built on um because i mean if i ask you that question today a year from or let's not let's go further let's say 18 months if we go 18 months back then would you ever think that you're in the position today Definitely. I mean, yeah, you can't have that foresight, right? Nobody would have seen mm. that they were going to go under because they were a rising star in the industry that they were operating in. And sadly, things just worked against them here then. But no, we thought we had pretty promising careers and, and we enjoyed what we did. But as you said, it's the pipeline you lay during that phase, right? And, and you, the, the, I think the short answer is you better lay good pipeline. And we had a, we had a reputation for, for, doing hard work and doing long hours, but delivering, mm. right? And that's the thing. That's why her phone started ringing. It's not necessarily me. It was the entire team, right? That entire cohesive unit of saying, you know what? We're just going to plow on and we're going to get things done and we're going to be efficient. And yeah, that pays in the end. It doesn't always work out like that, but you have a much higher odds that it will if you had that pipeline. Yeah, I think that that's really great. And I know, um, Jacques, thanks so much for, for coming on the episode, uh, but our, our time's nearly up. And I would love us just to end off on, on one final question, Jacques. If you just had to give, I'm going to give you an option. So it can either be three or five tips for anyone that's almost maybe in a corporate position or looking to start their, their journey on entrepreneur. Maybe we've got some students listening and also thinking of that whole bookshop idea. What would your three, three to five tips be um, that you've learned so far on your journey? Sure. Okay. If you're starting up and you're doing anything, keep costs low. <laughs> as you said, cash is king, but keeping costs low as well, right? Because even if you've got you're sitting on, on millions of cash, right? If there's operating expenses showing that each month, you can only survive so many months. But if you keep it low, yeah, you can pretty much live like a king and survive most storms, like the storm the whole world finds them right now with COVID, right? So that would be my first tip. Don't incur expenses and extra weight for no reason, right? That, that'd be the key thing. Um, and that's why the bookshop is the storm. The other one is... Yeah, personal productivity and happiness, like the things that have really added them or that I've had to learn later in life. I've always been attracted to fitness and always stayed fit. But yeah, keeping that in place and getting sleep, right? Like people usually take it out of the sleep column when they're trying to stretch it too far. But I've now seen that sleeping enough and that will differ per person. But for me, I've seen eight hours, meaning eight and a half hours in bed and eight hours of consistent sleep, it makes a lot of difference on productivity and happiness in order to keep it going, right? It's one thing to be productive for five days a week. It's another thing doing it for seven consistently over months. 
and I struggle like everybody else. But if you get eight hours of sleep, I can keep that up. Right? But as soon as I start taking out of that column, yeah, good luck getting past the sixth month at that pace. Right? That's a big thing. Um, yeah, I think it came out of the call as well. Value your clients and your suppliers. Both of those will be worth gold down the line. I mean, I've done business with suppliers. Here we are now, me and Simon. Ultimately, that was a supplier relationship. We were trying to do business together at the previous company, but it led to this podcast, right? Who knows where it will lead next? But you will not have that opportunity if you mistreat people on either side, right? People usually chase customers and try and build that as quickly. But then they go treat their suppliers bad. What do you think is going to happen, right? It's important to keep both of those um, going. Then the final one for me would be time blocking. Like that's something that I have, I've always been trying to get my productivity up and, and get as much done as I can. But I've realized now in the age that we live in and I'm susceptible like everybody else to distraction, et cetera. But the biggest thing that has made the biggest difference to me and not everybody has is, is in the position that I am to do it in the way that I'm doing it. But if you can manage your own time, the, the best thing that I've ever done was in the morning, the first sometimes four hours, but usually it's just two hours of my day. My phone is off and I do work that I have deemed as priority. And you will make leaps and bounds above what you could do with a distracted day for five days of distracted work versus just those two hours. You will make a lot of progress. And, and it also adds a lot to my happiness because I actually get things done as opposed to getting to the end of the week and thinking, I literally got nothing done because I was only in meetings, only on calls, responding to emails, and I don't even know where my time went. Whereas if you just focus those two hours and you get 10 hours of actual work done in a week, it will make a big difference. So yeah, that'll be my tip. Yeah, that's uh, that's very inspiring, Jacques. I really do appreciate it. So, yeah, I think uh, thanks so much for the value on the episode. Uh, there, there was actually so much uh, in there and yeah, super interesting facts um, of uncovering your journey. And I think for all of us, we're super excited to keep following you and see what the next uh, big venture is because, uh, yeah, it's, it's what's that? Uh, Tintin, eh? The Adventures of Tintin. Because <laughs> it's it seems like uh, you, you're not going to settle anytime soon. So, um, but for all of our uh, listeners out there, I mean, what are the best platforms if anyone wants to reach out to you? Um, maybe just have a chat if they want to buy textbooks because obviously uh, Mr. Chang's out of business now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what? I mean, what are the best platforms that uh, people can follow you on or reach out to you? Okay, so the primary one for work would be LinkedIn. I'm a chart the toy, just that. I luckily cool. got that domain uh, or uh, suffix. The other one is charttotoy.com, which is going live at the end of this week, actually. So I've been working on that for a while and I've owned that domain for many years and I've never put it to good use, but it will be by the end of this week. And then the other ones, there will be a link to all the business stuff, but we've got sourceconsult.co.za. There's bookitbooks.co.za. And then the other one, which we didn't speak about, but that's a property business, and that's zahomes.co.za. Those are the three places that people can get in touch. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll um, we'll we put that all in the, in the link. Eh? <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Sai, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Doc. Cheerio.